if you take it personal and you believe that is more or less like an art form, then you then you'll never get it done. And that's then also leading to endless discovery. And then companies are getting yeah unsatisfied because at some point they also want to see something. So if you start looking at PRF, you can use really as a helpful tool and actually to communicate and to, to actually iterate and not that something personal, then you also can take it lighter. And that is again where more senior people can come in and actually just help out more junior ones who might just be afraid that they are being evaluated in the next performance cycle by the quality of the first draft of the PRFQ. They shouldn't. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Florian Gramlich, who is currently at Zalando, where she leads product for Zalando Payments, a company doing all payment-related things for Zalando. Previously, Florian was director of product at OLX, where she was responsible for payments, monetization, advertising, trust and safety, and where she was leading teams in Europe and India. Her other stations included Twitter, PayPal, and eBay, most of the time in product roles. Hi, Florian. How are you today? I'm really good. And apologies for the different or difficult name. It's Gloriane Gramlich. It's very German. Thank you, parents. Don't worry, we've got a bunch of Florians in in France. It's not an unheard name, but you're right. German pronunciation is not always easy. So for our listeners out there, you'll see Florian's name on the cover of the episode. And thank you for pronouncing it in the right way. Before we get into today's topics, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you've been up to so far? As I said, I'm working product since quite some time and I'm always saying I'm a product manager by nature. I'm trying to treat everything as a product, including my own career. And we'll talk about this a little bit because I'm super passionate about this. And another thing is really investing to product management. As we all know in Europe, product management is still a little bit behind. Um, It comes by experience and people learning from each other, people trying to be the multiplicators and basically helping others learn the craft. And here I'm always trying to get better at what I do and helping others to get better at what they do. And one recent thing is I got really big into narratives and writing papers and all that stuff. So originally I'm coming from a PowerPoint culture. So <laughs> going back and down with them. And now PRFAQs, concept papers and trying to get much better is something I'm really passionate about. Same as also leading, scaling, building up teams. I have really luxury of also leading engineering, not only product in my professional life. And I have a master in history. You talked about being a multiplicator. What does that mean? What is involved in being a multiplicator? I think especially with a certain amount of seniority, it's about spreading the word and also helping others getting better. It's not coming with formal people responsibility. Everybody can be a leader. And so more or less like you learn and then you give back to the community. And a lot is about curiosity, helping others to grow. So I'm, for example, I'm mentoring quite a lot of people. Majority of them are women. And we're also trying to get more women into product yeah. management, for sure. But that is, I think it's a responsibility at a certain point, helping others get better. And that they do the same. And hence, we're getting strong network together in the product community. So you mentioned seniority and leadership, et cetera. How do you see your role today as a product leader, for example, at Zalando Payment? So 
Zalando is quite a big company, right? I mean, what's the current headcount these days? We recently had the discussion back then because about 15,000 or something. But Zalando also has quite a lot of pizza and warehouses and such. Yeah, but yeah. you have 400 people in, in product development and um, product management. So product management and adjacent payments is its own company within Zalando. And there we have about 35 product managers and product analysts who are all belonging to the product organization. Okay, how are you embodying this role as a multiplicator? You talked about mentoring and you talked about sharing some of your knowledge. How does that work concretely? I think it has two dimensions. One is more or less like the hard skills and the other one's the soft skills. Hard skills meaning more or less like knowing what is expected. What does good product management look like? What are the respective frameworks to, uh, to use? Like it's a land of working the 4D cycle quite diligently, but it's not common for everybody. So it's more or less like really learning, knowing what is good product management in the eyes of this company and also in the eyes of the community. And then helping people to actually really get better in terms of learning from others and shadowing or just training on the job. And then there's the soft skills side of things. And here's really, you mentioned it, like mentoring, being a mentor. But I think everybody who's being mentored should also be a mentor for somebody else. It's a little bit my personal rule. I have currently seven mentees. And the only rule I have, or two, is please reflect and second one, give back. And that is uh, trying something we are trying to establish and then here also sharing much like at Zalando Payments, we introduce something like a community of practice. So where each week somebody is presenting something. Might be last time it was how to build a good product analytics organization. What were the pitfalls? Before that, it was final pilated in the next generation of installments. So it's like sharing, caring about each other and basically staying curious, which is, I believe, a really important thing because it also keeps you on your toes. The key quality of product managers, curiosity, I think totally. a lot of parents who forget about this, but curiosity is really important as a PM. And you talked about mentoring and coaching, which is basically like, how do you become better at what you're doing? How do we become better product managers? I'd be interested to hear from your experience, what does becoming better look like when you're trying to make better product managers? What does that look like? Depends on the very standing. When I started in product management, it was actually really just project management. And that is how product management was interpreted. And when I worked with PayPal, we even had BIDs and TIDs. So it was before Agile. <laughs> so there are good product management look different than it is today. I think today it's really kind of to being really mentally agile. So really going with the flow and understanding what customers really is keeping them busy and what problems they have. So a lot is, we mentioned curiosity. Another one is empathy. Every morning I'm getting up, the first thing I'm doing is reading the app reviews and seeing where did I cause pain with payments and kind of, or not kind of delivering the best service to customers. And I actually feel the pain. So talking a lot, kind of being empathetic towards customers, but also to yourself. I also said this kind of treating you yourself also as a product and also do your own research. <laughs> also be okay when you sometimes fail, right? That's completely fine. And that, and it will happen, right? I'm more kind of a high risk person, but taking reckless risks, but trying to really also get some things going. So it, um, also to apply this and take the empathy into action and then actually get getting something going here. Learning is a big thing. I have such a big pile of books. I also have a long reading list. I'm trying to actually read a book each week. Sometimes it works, sometimes it wow. doesn't. Yeah, at the moment I'm rereading. I'm 
for the second time working backwards because they yeah. kind of I, I, they have a lot of stuff doing right at Amazon, which also brings me here to the next one: writing skills. And Amazon is famous with PRFQs, so PRFQs, um, yeah, press release and frequently asked questions. Super, super nice tool, but you need to learn it. If you're coming from a PowerPoint culture, then it is trying to be as condensed as possible, right? And with PRFQs, concept papers, you're trying to be as precise as possible, coming to the point applying evidences against. And also thinking through writing, right? So absolutely, the, the mere concept of saying, you know what, the idea here is not to go fast, it's actually to take a little bit of time and think this through. And to do that, I'm going to write a document. And actually, you are creating the time and space necessary for you to go through the tr thinking process especially in scale-ups where things go really fast and you're just caught into the mechanisms of the organization where everything is going fast. So you also are going fast. And sometimes it's not the best thing to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is to take a step back and think about the stuff you're doing, especially as a product manager. Yeah, and really also applying evidences to it. It's and then and like a discussion is much, much easier. Like we had a product, Chalando, which we call Binopulator 2.0. It's the next version of the invoice product. And when we started working on this, it's very much still driven by PowerPoint. And it didn't go in terms of us like going from one stakeholder to the other stakeholder to the other stakeholder. And then we worked vigorously on PRFQ and it took two to three months. And a good PRFQ takes us long, usually. And it's so easy. You just take this PRFQ, you give it to your stakeholders, they can go through it asynchronously on their time. And they help making this document better. Because that's another thing that's often misunderstood that it's PRFQs. It's not about only one person making the right PRFQ. It's about collective intelligence, basically trying to find the whole of the text. And ultimately, then you deliver better stuff to your customers. So here, sometimes it takes a long time, but actually it will also reduce efforts long-term, especially also when the outcome of the PRFQ is that we shouldn't do it. Yeah. And you're saving <laughs> your time. company also a lot of money. Yeah, sometimes it's about killing an idea, right? It's not about yes. executing. It's about saying, we've weighed this through, going through the process of the PRFQ and sharing it with the stakeholders. Everybody's given their point of view of, based on their experience and their evidence, where this product or concept or idea should stand. And sometimes it's not worth it. If you think, I also like to think about this from the four big risks framework. So if you think about viability and desirability, for example, if you know that an idea is not viable, it's not going to create value for the business in a massive way, then that's the end of the conversation sometimes, right? We don't need to go further. Yeah, and that's an interesting one because as I said, it's really then also good for the company in this case. And sometimes they have these discussions with PMs that it's only if you deliver something, then it's good. So basically that your shipping product, the shuffle culture. But again, if you're not even coming to this, and you're finding out it is, as you said, it is not viable. So let's not start working on it. That is also a good outcome of PRFQ and the discovery process. So yeah, it's quite a great value in that. But again, it takes practice. It takes practice. I think also the first PRFQ you write as a person who's used to doing PowerPoint presentations does not necessarily look like a good PRFQ, right? I think most people try and overdo it. Most product managers I know are people who really care about product and the stuff they are doing. 
And sometimes this translates into overdoing things. I've seen PR FAQs that look like it's actually been written by a PR person. And that's not the point. The point is you're here to do the product thinking and think about things that might arise, talk about the current status of the product, i.e. an MVP versus what a later version of that product might look like. Talk about customer satisfaction and what customers are expecting from this product and what pain it's solving, stuff like that. And sometimes I've seen PR FAQs like, it's the, that's it. The product is out and that's the end of it. Like almost like a project, right? Yeah, that's a general thing. It's really about like constantly iterating, really finding also different perspectives. We talked about empathy, right? Also some other person mm -hmm. who's participating in the process contributing to a PRFQ can just help and bring in a new perspective and then it just gets better and then it gets better for the customers, win-win for everybody. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of skills involved, right? We talk about how do we make better product managers? There's so many things involved because product management is at the intersection of literally everything else in the business, right? So what is your view of how PMs hone in on some of their skills or should they hone in on some of their skills or should they just be like Swiss knives. Oh, it's the endless debate of the industry, right? Also like product owner versus product manager and all that stuff. So for me, product managers are generalists. That is how I always treat it also in, in my teams and try to learn it. It also means that they actually they need to tick a lot of the boxes. So basically analytical thinking is quite an important box to tick. I think it, it doesn't hurt if a PM also heard at some point what SQL is and how it works. Not that difficult and shouldn't by the way, but also like product management tools and techniques kind of, I think frameworks are sometimes a little bit overrated to a degree, but they can help in certain instances. But like another product management technique is writing concept papers or peer FAQs or solution design papers. Then it's also about commercial leadership. So understanding what the, drives the business, what is the business strategy? How can you as a PM actually contribute? To this and basically also there's a bucket here and really understanding the metrics and kind of at the end of the day you get a paycheck hopefully it's also good if company makes some money and then last but not least collaborators leadership so stakeholder management communication product management is also a big part of it so and this is a very broad spectrum the good news is most of it can be sure. but i have also seen pms who said nah i don't need to go into product or an analytics i have an analyst for this or I don't need to understand the numbers, it's wrong. Same as sometimes you also need to do your project management. And I have a bit of a stronger view, maybe as others on that kind of, I, I think that sometimes applying then a project manager in product management work makes the product managers lazy. Mm. Project management is part of the job. It shouldn't be the majority of the job, but then product managers also need to know how to communicate and how to manage stakeholders and all that stuff. The coordination it's of it all as well, right? Ways. Yes. Because there's so many moving pieces, I think, right? When you're working in product management, you are at the confluence of everything else in the business, finance, marketing, sales, engineering, and you having to keeping all these blades spinning really. And I think a lot of it is like you mentioned, interpersonal skills, communication skills. A lot of it is about organization. You've got to know how to organize your time. I think time management is one of the great skills of an excellent product manager. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of coordination involved and coordination, time management, organization. These come from project management. Well, most of the time, these are yes. things people have learned doing project management jobs, right? So 
that resonates. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's another this other thing about PMs growing and different avenues they can take. At the moment, I can see there are a bunch of conversations on LinkedIn about people saying, when you're a product manager and you're really good at your role, society dictates that. When you're good at your job, you get promoted to manage other people. You might think that's a good thing, that's a bad thing, but the reality is not everyone is equipped to manage other human beings. There's a lot of stuff involved in there. Managing people is not for everybody. So there's this discussion around principle, the principal role, principal product manager versus a team leader, for example, a product lead or head of product or group product manager managing other product managers. And this raises the question of leadership and management. What do you make of this conversation around the growth of PMs and the different career tracks that they can take? So far, I think it's really not good that growth is only be determined kind of managing other people. I think there have seen many great individual contributors who were also great leaders and who were just the main experts in their field. I think it's more about being trying to be a generalist. The other ones are trying to be more specialists. So it should be dissected. I don't think somebody with people management responsibility should earn more. It's about the level of responsibility in general that you're having. Yeah, so that's the first thing. But the second one is more or less people management, in my opinion, is the least attractive part of it. Because what comes with that is performance reviews. Like I was writing a lot of performance reviews in my professional career. <laughs> kind of also bad stuff if somebody is not performing down. You don't get them over the edge and kind of at some point you need to figure out what to do with this person and helping this person. It all goes uh, south. I think what is more interesting is we people leadership. And everybody can be a people leader. And when it comes to product management, there's this whole thing about leadership. So leadership without formal authority, we're influencing, trying to find the way around, being good at what you're doing. And that is something I believe is the hardest form of leadership. And if you as a product manager are able to do this and really are great in, in natural leadership, everything else is like a piece of cake. Um, because then you can manage the, yeah, the golden apple that you're having here. So that's uh, quite a passionate thing in, in my mind. So people leadership, I even gave a talk recently about how you should be named product management and product leadership. Because the product management implies that you have everything under control and you can just manage one, two, three, and then put it into a nice little roadmap where we all know that kind of the planning is sometimes a little bit of an illusion. Do you feel stuck, not knowing how to tackle a problem, or you're looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square, and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, Head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. I think there's also this question of leadership can actually be observed at any level across the organization. So 
I keep saying this junior person just recently joined the company and they can be showing a lot of leadership in what they're doing. I think a lot of times people associate leadership with seniority and management. There's this confusion that you're a leader when you're managing other people. Actually, you can be a leader when, you know, you're a single person in your remit trying to do the best possible job you can and inspire others through the job you're doing to create value for the business and for end users. So. I'm happy we got the opportunity to clarify that. And also, there's not one way of leading. There's many ways to lead. And I think you were talking about different leadership styles for product managers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and just a small anecdote here. When I had my first people, it was really people management when I was 26. No experience at all. And I thought, okay. As I said, like performance reviews and complicated situations. I didn't know much about people leadership. I kind of learned that I'm intuitively good at it at some point. And yeah, and here kind of, and I also started to read some books and understanding it a little bit more. And yeah, for me, people leadership or leadership in general is situational. My preferred leadership style is a servant leadership. I was recently asked, what do people to work for you would tell me about you? And I was like, okay, I would rather have it the other way around. I work for the people. And you can then ask them, them servant leadership, trying to actually do the best for the people and kind of empower them, helping them to have the back free and kind of that they can do their job. Sometimes also the job includes to be a little bit political and political can be good in terms of diplomacy, but it can also be negative. And it's also the job of the servant leader to keep that yeah, it can also be a nightmare, right? You can, we can say absolutely. It's, sometimes it's a business, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, and so preferred leadership style, servant leadership, but also sometimes it is situational and I need to apply a different leadership style. I had, for example, a new team when I worked in India. Yeah, I could have not really started with servant leadership because they didn't know me. They didn't trust me yet. So I needed to earn the trust. And also in this case, I needed to show that I'm a strong leader. So I applied more authoritative leadership style until I have earned the trust. And then I could be that leader that I'd like to be. And there are also sometimes with different stakeholders, I also need to apply different leadership. So I think to clarify this a little bit, servant leadership for my team, the preferred section, and then sometimes also coaching leadership when it comes to people around me or yeah, literal leadership as when I'm going to my PM role and trying to be as, as humble and egoless as I can be. At the end of the day, as you can see, like leadership is also quite personal. So products are not the same and customer needs are also not the same personality stitcher. And I, I recently did a, a test in my team, completely voluntary. So in the strength. I don't want to make guys in here, but I find it quite a cheap tool in order to get some trades out of it. And basically you see who people are more strong and the really strong leadership kind and some are more introverts and like to to work in the area. And, but my, this one is not better than the other one. I think that is, is quite important to, to understand. It's not that one leadership style and one personality is worse than the other. So I think that's also where diversity is coming in for product managers. That's really important. You've mentioned this different, there needs to be enough space for different types of personalities in the team. Diversity of thought, the importance of having people that don't necessarily all think about the same things in the same way. That's super important. And I think one of the things I'm also interested in, because you talked about everything goes back to this being a multiplicating agent, right? Like how do you coach people and make product people better? We talked about 
empathy and curiosity and adopting a continuous learning mindset. We talked about thinking through writing using PR for cues, for example. We talked about making the difference between management and leadership. We talked about different styles of leadership, but they also, you talked about hard skills and soft skills. I like to say craft skills and human skills, because when people say hard and soft, it creates this bias that some of these skills are more important than the other. People think of hard skills as being really important because it bears the adjective hard. Whereas soft might not be so interesting. Do you know what I mean? So I like to use the terms craft skills and human skills. And there are also some craft skills that are really important for a product manager. So data, for example, like how do you use data? How do you leverage data? We talked about evidence before, but how do you integrate data in your decision-making process, right? I really like this, what you just said. I actually took a note, craft skills versus human skill. And that's an interesting one because you're completely right. I recently talked to somebody like 40 years of like something around this all. And I was talking about coaching. I was like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being coached? Do you need to be in therapy? And I was like, oh, there's nothing to do with it. So clearly not understood kind of how the power of human interaction can be. Yeah, so super interesting. So thanks for sharing this. Yeah, to, to data, I think. One one thing is also like a lot in my mind right now. So um, our world right now is super chaotic to a large degree and we're trying to make sense out of it. And I believe, for example, that having a clear grip on data helps with that. For example, each morning I'm looking at Hagerspiel, which is a German newspaper. They have these great statistics about this temperature over years and about the situation of the war in Ukraine and kind of gives me also security to actually read this data and understanding this more and having it more in context. And data is a very important thing because it enables decision-making. And like ultimately I had a lot of discussions over my time to do that or to do that. Like at OLX, uh, I was working for 38 markets and was responsible for payments. So it's a question, which market to go next? And usually it was like, there were some people just screaming the loudest, but where it helped, it was really to get numbers on it really understanding where do we have the greatest impact, where is the biggest risk, where is the biggest opportunity, and then making this visible. And then it helps not having just an opinion on something, but actually having evidence. Because I also have an opinion on almost everything, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. That's more or less like really understanding that it should make sense. Yeah, and so influencing so is enabled through data. And often it's hard data. So meaning product data or it is business data. It is data about macroeconomic situation, but sometimes it's also data coming from research and so on. So it's a combination of both, which makes the most sense depending on where you are. But uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of PMs, unfortunately, who are not seeing this value and who are sometimes being afraid. You don't need to have studied mathematics in order to have a basic understanding. And in my experience, there were a few things that really helped in getting grip on data. One of them is again coming to where we started, learn. And what is the easiest yeah. way to learn from its other people's, right? They're, they're yeah, 100%. Talk to them, right? Talk to them like, can you this dashboard sounds interesting? Can you explain me what these metrics are and kind of why, why you believe it's important to look at them, right? And uh, getting also like really a routine, looking at dashboards, raw data, just play around with it. What, what can happen? You will not break the internet. And uh, I also said this with SQL and how data gets derived. When I worked at Twitter, which is now 
seven, eight years ago, there was no product analyst at Twitter I could work with. So I needed to learn how to create the database myself. Believe me, Twitter had a very complex uh, database structure, but it helped me so much with the understanding how it's been structured. And when I was writing SQL myself, tried to learn it and create my own notebooks and then also share this. And then ultimately, if you're talked about PRFQs, narratives, concept papers, concept papers without evidence are not worth much. Because then they're purely opinion-based. So at this point, you will be forced to look into data and really understanding it. So it's there, then everything makes sense, right? But it's really important to understand that data and understanding data is important if you don't know what success looks like for your products. Why did you do it in the first place? But yeah, don't be afraid. Let's You're absolutely right. It. It, it reminds me of this early experience that I had. I started like about 10 years ago now. I wasn't that good at data at all, actually. I didn't even know what to look at. And I think one of the step changes that I had was I was working in this large organization and there was this big analytics team. It was a BI, business intelligence and analytics team. And on the floor, there were about 250 people and they were sat maybe 20 meters from where I was sitting. Big organization, when you need something, you need to raise a ticket, wait for somebody to have some time and then get back to you. And I, I just didn't understand why these guys were like 20 meters from me and I had to go through all this convoluted process. So I decided I was just going to go talk to them because I'm a human being, they're a human being. Maybe we can make something work here. <laughs> so I met this guy, amazing dude, right? So he was a data analyst and we were working using Adobe Analytics back then. And I, I asked this guy, like, I'm going to come to you at probably every day and ask you questions about this, right? And he said, okay, sure. There are also other people that need my time, blah, blah, blah. I was like, we'll make this work. And at some point I went to my manager and I said, why don't we just have access to Adobe Analytics? Like, why don't you democratize access to the tool for everyone in a way that nobody can break anything? We're just reading the data, right? We're not editing the underlying data. We're not touching the underlying data. Just let people build dashboards and start playing with the tool and see what happens. And I think in a lot of big organizations, there is fear of what's going to happen if we give access to data to all of these people. And I think I have a contrarian approach where I think, why not, right? I think great things could come out of it. And I thought, I'm going to stay with this team. I basically stopped sitting with the product management team. I went and sat next to this analyst for a week, two weeks, three weeks. I ended up just staying there, right? Suddenly, I was best friends with all of the product analysts in the organization. <laughs> and I have to say, this was possibly one of the best decisions I took back then because when we had product reviews or product forums, I was one of the only people who would come in with data to show and say, guys, there's no need to talking about this thing for too long because here is some data that we have, basically facts telling us that this and that, right? We already have some evidence. We can make an informed decision here. And something really interesting happened when product review after product review, people started to realize that the only reason why I would come with this information is because I had access to the product analytics team. We started the conversation about giving access to all the product managers. So it was about 90 people back at the time. Give them access to Adobe Analytics and give them a crash course in how to use Adobe Analytics. 
And I remember when I first used the software, I, I didn't even know what the difference was between a dimension and a metric. I had to learn this stuff, right? I think it's really important because until you have a firm grasp of metrics, dimensions, what really matters for customers, customer behaviors, clickstream data, what's happening in your application, like basic stuff, right? You can't really make informed decisions. And I think that's really important. And I think we need to repeat that because a lot of product managers I'm seeing in the field are spending a lot of time doing a lot of qualitative work. That's when they have the mandate and the time to do it. But we shouldn't forget that in a lot of situations, I'm not talking about super early stage companies that don't have a lot of data, but in most situations, you've got a data set you can rely on that is already telling you a story, right? So I think that's really important. Totally. And I expect also the example of the product analyst said that also it's a relationship because what I also often see is that product analyst is more or less like, hey, let's please do this analysis. And that's not how it should work. And more or less like also for product analysts, here's like a problem I'm seeing. Here's a hypothesis I have. Let's see if we can verify this. Stuff like that. So being, being really also an empowered product development team where product analysts and product managers should be on an eye level. But unfortunately, the reality is that also product analysts are then used as execution machines, which nobody likes. And I think also the outcome is like limited. So understanding this also will help the whole product development life cycle. Yeah, completely right. It's also one of the skills out there, which I think is quite, I wouldn't say it's undervalued, but I think it's underrepresented, which means that I can see people who are quite have this data skill set in their toolbox tend to get the better jobs, basically, because they get better packages, the better jobs, because they have yes. that skill. And I think it's a skill you can highly monetize in a job search. So I would encourage any product manager out there who is not feeling great about their or confident about their data skills to rethink that and maybe upskill on that. Yeah. And just to share here in terms of product management interviews, the majority of people fail, fail because of the analytical interview. Uh, and that holds also true as far as I know from other companies where we had the same discussions. But again, you can learn it. You might not become like data scientists. Or you don't have to be can be a black belt of data. You just have yeah. to have the core skills to do a good job as a product manager. Also, I'm saying a lot that kind of product managers don't go into machine learning. At some point, they might fall behind. This is just like automation is like imminent and everywhere. But it's also that way that machine learning products are more data-driven. And if you don't understand this, and if you don't understand like that, like the, how models work and also explainability is something that is important and all that stuff, you know, have a problem. So I think it, it all makes sense in the bigger picture. Thank you for sharing this. We started talking about craft skills, right? And I think another skill that's really important to any product manager out there is prioritization. There's prioritization of product initiatives. We talked quickly about road mapping earlier. It's important. You've got to figure out what's the cost opportunity equation and whether you want to invest your effort in doing something and what impact it's going to bring to the business and to customers. That's really important. What's your view of prioritization? What's been your experience of prioritization? Basically two things, like prioritization as your daily job as a product manager and kind of understanding what's more important. Also, I, I'm a big believer in, in reducing work in progress in the first place. So you have less <laughs> stuff prioritized. I think. Many companies and many product managers, they fail because they try to do it all. 
And there's no value in doing 10 things half-baked. It's better to just do a few and do them right. So doing less better, which helps also then prioritization. Coming back to this whole discussion about data, if you understand really what's the impact of something you're doing, that also makes it much, much easier in order to prioritize what to do. And then there's also the dimension of prioritizing yourself and you mentioned time management as one thing. I see some very gifted PMs in my career and kind of some of them, they prioritize the job over almost everything, also over the personal development. And I think that's a very, it's a mistake because if you're not keeping balance, but also prioritizing time for yourself. So more or less like reflecting, learning, taking time to read and really trying to get better and sometimes just thinking, then you will also long run not being able to do your job that good so it's about also prioritizing yourself and finding time in your diary for this and here you know sometimes i see diaries of pms where like the whole day is blocked but one really case of product managers and the calendars right but it shouldn't be that way and then it's also again doing less better and the same holds true for meetings for example like i'm ruthless if i'm seeing that i'm invited to a meeting where i don't provide benefit or which is not prepared in the sense that I see it's really clear what's being achieved in this meeting, then I'm not going. I should be done. So I want to still find time. You cannot have a meeting like day from eight in the morning until nine in the evening, because when do you do your job? And also the PM, your innovation is a big thing, but you can also only innovate if you are able to think. So what I did for myself, for example, I always have blocks in my calendar, which are not to be violated. I have a morning block when I go running almost every morning. If I don't go running, I go for a walk just to keep the head free. Lunch is like super important, which I have also blocked. And But then I will also have really thinking blocks in my calendar. And really, it's, if you book into that, you must have a really good reason on doing this. So again, it's about trying to figure out, you don't need to be on every wedding. I'm really trying to find time for yourself to reflect. And reflection in this case doesn't mean to write tons of LinkedIn posts, to be honest. It means thinking and, 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 and finding out about yourself and also about weaknesses or growth opportunities. What are some of the other things you've seen great product managers do? So we talked about prioritizing your own time as a product person, also as a human being, right? Taking care of yourself, which is really important. We talked about learning and growth. What are some of the other things you've seen really good product managers do? So first of all, I believe it's being also able to see that you want to grow. So treat yourself as a product, do your own research, understand yourself. If you're not willing to reflect, then you will have an issue. I have experienced a few people also during my time who are like, where the kind of the self-perception and the perception of others of this person were completely different. Um, where I really tried then to combine them, but uh, and sometimes people are not willing to reflect and not take this reality. And then it's very hard for these people to grow because they will not want to work with a mentor or with a coach. So self-reflection, super big thing. Treat yourself as a product. You mentioned mentors and we also talked about this in the beginning of our conversation. I think mentors are super powerful. It's a good thing for the community. You give and you give back. You can have them for different opportunities, like just understanding how an organization works or how to make it clear. But also if you're having specific things when it comes to your own goals, like how to, or just bounce off ideas when it comes to product development. So I usually had different mentors for different purposes. What they all had in common is more the fact that there was a mentor agreement in the beginning, more or less like what I want to get out of it and then having an agreed cadence to which we stick. Personally, I also a super big fan of coaching. So big that I actually went into a coaching training myself 
to be totally frank, I haven't finished it yet. Time was not the issue. It was one of the, uh, it was more of like going to a direction which I didn't like that much. I think I can be more powerful with being coach consulting kind of thing, whereas in coaching, you're really supposed to ask a lot of questions. They call this the different postures of coaching, right? There's the, yeah. there's the consultant posture, which is about bringing solutions to the table versus the actual coaching experience, which is helping people navigate their own situation by helping them through introspection and self-reflection. So you're not bringing direct solutions at the table, but you're helping, you're nudging people to think about how to solve the problem. Yeah, actually cutting the coaching training I did, if you're going into solution designing, then you will fail the course. So it's uh, quite important, but I had uh, quite a lot of coaches in my time and kind of, this is something that helped me professionally and also personally quite a lot. Also when going through difficult times, um, which also sometimes happened, like when you're going through VR and kind of its implications that are coming with it. So um, coaching was for me the most impactful one. I currently, I don't have a mentor anymore. I have quite a lot of mentees. I believe it's also a little bit of a seniority question. I think like when you're more in the beginning of your career, you will get more of out of the mentorship. There's like when you're more senior coaching, you appreciate coaching or you get more giving back. Exactly. And it requires you to do a lot of work on your own when you're yeah. on coaching, which you might not be used to. And uh, like in terms of talked about reflection, I think what would help a lot is one is like bringing the stuff to paper. There's this concept, for example, of a readme, which I like. One is like, a manual and you're all human beings. So I have some stuff I wear from, which is red tape for me, which I really, if you do this, then kind of, I have a problem with it. I'm, for example, like I talked about these unprepared meetings. It's for me, you're wasting time with others and just uh, and there's another meeting. Frankly, I'm usually not good at it. So it's for me, like red tape and writing this down kind of what is important to me and kind of things where I have issues, but it helps also others to, to work with me the other way around. And then we don't take it personal. So it's something I'm, I usually do and distribute everywhere. Same as like the Tiff and Swank. I don't want to make advertising for this, but I found it really useful to understand individuals, but also the team concept and how to have a really diverse team and then helps also as people lead, how to include people better, making these differences um, also visible. And yeah, and one thing I usually like to do, especially when it's very hectic, super easy. I'm just writing down what rained me today and what gave me energy. Super simple. And then put this on post-its and then see how is it the next day? Is it the same thing? And it also then helps a little bit like the situations where you actually were not self-aware that it's actually raining you. When I'm in endless political discussions, for example, it's <laughs> not going anywhere. <laughs> yes, raining. But I wanted to go into politics when I was a child. I wanted to be the first German female chancellor. So Merkel took this away from me. I don't want to go into politics anymore. That's super inspiring. One of the topics I think is still a big challenge for a lot of product managers, and I recently wrote a LinkedIn post about this, is how do I properly look for my next job? And I think this is a difficult one because I had this conversation earlier this year with Bob Moester, the co-architect of Jobs to be Done Theory. And we talked about how human beings have historically not been really good at finding their next jobs. That's mostly because we don't know what dimensions we should optimize for. So for example, 
we tend to optimize for salary. We tend to optimize for working hours. We tend to optimize for challenge. Like if there's a big challenge involved in the job, I feel like this job has got appeal. I'm attracted to this job, but we really optimize for our own fulfillment. Am I going to be happy doing this job? Am I going to feel good doing this job? Is this going to drive the dimensions that really matter to me in the right direction? So we really think about these things. One of the reasons is because we've not been trained to think about the stuff, first of all. And the second thing is we are pressed for time. We see a job search as us having to fight against time. It's like a race and society is built this way. For example, if you go at a job interview and there's a gap in your CV, people will ask questions. They will go, why haven't you been working for six months? It's not normal. People will even be a little bit suspicious. And this really happens. And it creates this environment where when we leave a job, we instantly look for the next job, sometimes without even taking a break between the jobs. And Bob was saying how a good job search on average should take about six months because we spend a third of our lives in our jobs, right? Yet we treat it like something that's just there to pay the bills and get a salary at the end of the month and maybe along the way might be interesting. And I think there's this big shift in perspective that we might need to think about. What's your view of how a product manager can look for the next job opportunity in the right way? Yeah, and at the moment, it's difficult times, right? Kind of where we were like... It's a very cold years. winter. <laughs> but I don't think it's that bad as it appears. I think it's obviously like the layoffs are terrible. I think companies should have been more responsible. I don't also think we have changed from employee market to employer market yet, as some say. But also in the market was overheated. What I've seen a lot is that people were mainly incentivized by money. And I think money is important, but money is a hygiene checking, like taking a shower. And we don't want to hire mercenaries. Want to hire missionaries to speak with our famous book author? And, but it's important. You don't want to hire just somebody for the paycheck. You want to have, hire somebody because they're actually passionate about what they do and they can actually grow in their career. So I think it's a fair statement that it also takes its time. Yeah. And personally, like I'm changing positions traditionally every two, two and a half years, ideally in the same company. And ideally it just means that I get a little bit more or different responsibility. And like there's this hockey stick concept. And I'm from a product management perspective, I'm more fixer and the builder. I'm not so much of a maintainer. So when I'm at the upper part of the hockey stick and then it just goes very slowly at the end and I, the curiosity gets the better of me. And then I'm getting curious about other things. And I think it's key to work this way and everybody needs to see what their hockey stick is. I believe what is not healthy as a PM is you're standing still too long. Because how can you be curious if you're standing still? So if you're getting bored and if you're not learning anything anymore, if you're not being driven by the customer problems that you're solving, then it gives you maybe a hint that it's not the right position. And then you might be just too comfortable in where you are, but being comfortable is never a good thing. So getting out of the comfort zone is very important. And then the question is what you're looking for. What I'm personally looking for when I look at companies is really what is product-driven culture, understanding kind of what role is product and tech playing, 
Is it led by business plans and kind of is product merely an executional? Who is responsible for the PL? Do they actually understand the PL? Are they just treating products projects and just having huge operational plan? How do they measure things like OKRs? Do they use it? How do they use OKRs? Many companies using OKRs do it in the wrong way. Just customer really coming first. And you also sometimes see this when you just take a deep look into the product. If it's really solving something or kind of it's actually neglecting some some customer needs. So product-driven culture, yes or no. Then culture in general. Like many companies are very good and creating a good culture on paper. And I think at the moment, everybody can take their their own view and how some companies are handling the layoffs and do it more gracefully than others. Ultimately, these are human beings and lives. So yeah. it's also showing how they treat this. And here, using interviews as a two-way street. I recently had an interview and it was like, there was no really introduction. There was no, there was a purely transaction in that sense, which is okay, but it's just not my style. And I could also treat others as a human being, same as I would treat my customers. So it showed me where and that this is maybe not the culture that I'm looking for. And it, but the culture on paper was amazing, really amazing. But then the interviews, so really also asking good questions and really preparing for those and using the two way street. And then you also read that the manager is important. Of course, if the manager is important. But if you're having a company with a great culture, then these people are consistently acting in the right way. That is hopefully in line with your value. Like for me, I'm a value-driven person. So I also need to see that actually the company is working in the same way. So that the company is actually producing a lot of good leaders. And my opinion also like also female leaders. I think we are not having enough female leaders in general. That's true. Even in product and tech, which is the same. So how they're handling diversity, inclusion. And uh, you mentioned somewhere like this diversity of thought. It's a cognitive diversity. That is important. Do they have different thinkers or is it a company of mini-me's? Which I then, there are mini-me companies out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Not episodes. Yeah, ask questions. See that you're getting as many people to know as possible. The tech and tech industry is small. So you always know somebody who's working there. Like also when you're going on a referral basis and kind of really knowing also that this person who's working there really loves it there. It also gives you an additional data point to look out for. Yeah. If you actually then exit, do it gracefully in both ways. Like in the tech industry or product industry, we see each other two times, three times. I've also seen people who didn't end jobs gracefully. And yeah, it's not a good thing. People are like elephants. Some of them at least are. It's not a bad thing to change jobs, full stop. Maybe not every year. Like you said, it's about curiosity and it's about, to me, it's also about seeing things through. Sometimes you've got to stay long enough to be able to tell the next story, right? Because if you're constantly changing jobs, in the next job interview, people are going to ask, what did you do in your last job? And if you can't tell that story, then it's not good. If you end the hockey stick too early, if you're you're ending it here instead of here, then you're lost an opportunity of growth also, which is also coming in the case of product managers with outcome. If you're working on a great product, the peer FAQ, you saw the through and stakeholders send off, and designing went great and verified it. And then you maybe want to see it through to execution, maybe also ideation, because there are also different skills you're learning around the way. Completely. Yeah. Before we wrap up the show, and thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. I thought it was really interesting. We come to the section of the show. It's a treasure chest. Basically, mm-hmm. the idea is to understand what are some of the things you have found really helpful 
in your career that have been transformational that have really helped you grow as a product person. Let's start with the resources. What are the most helpful resources you've used in the past that have helped you deliver growth for some of the companies you've worked at? Yeah, no surprises here. I think books and I still love like inspired and, and empowered by Marty Kagan because it largely resonates with how I love to work or working backwards. But um, I'm trying to read as much as I can. Right now I started a book about success metrics, which is a little bit more dry, but it's also learning a lot of more stuff and how to better get a grip on North Stars and also how to translate that. So books is an important one, but also a lot, for example, for shorter content, like in the train and such, like Medium, for example, just read articles of people I follow. They're also quite a quite great product people on, on, on LinkedIn where sometimes you find some words of wisdom here or again with somebody sharing a new book that they found interesting yeah and that also leads me to the next one it's like people I'm always looking at people I can learn from so like role models and also anti-role models and I think there's value in both of it also understanding how you don't want to do things that can inspire then your own thinking. Also learning from others in that sense. And yeah, also like when it comes to product development, I think also counterparts in tech data science, the product analytics, design and so on. Ultimately, product is teamwork. So also learning the tech side of things and getting better understanding. Like that is something I found great. And yeah, last but not least, customers, obviously. Like when I worked in PayPal and kind of every time I went into taxi, I was like, why are you not offering PayPal? <laughs> kind of, kind of, usually the taxi driver went to rent, more or less like why, why you didn't like PayPal. Kind of, every time I learned something more and really understanding this and talking to people. So being close to your, your customers is something that is super helpful all the time. Thank you. And what would you say are some of the key accelerators you've had in your career? Yeah, I mentioned coaching already. Coaching was really for me a step changer. In the beginning, I was super arrogant. When I had my first coaching session, I talked a lot. I think I talked half an hour just without pause and comma. And like, and saw that the coach was quite exhausted after that. So I actually also needed to really have this openness and to reflect, which in my case came with seniority. And yeah, that is something I can just recommend to almost everybody, but look that you find a good coach that is also fitting to you. There are tons of coaches out there from life coaches to career coaches and it became a big career out there. So it's also doing your research to find the right coach and that actually that clicks. Yep. Mentoring in the early stages of my career in general, but I didn't find very useful stuff like trainings, for example, because I think most trainings I I could read in a Medium article in one hour instead of having two days in a room. Unless it's, again, like a training, but is again, helping with also building a network, for example. that had a leadership training of two days in Amsterdam. And I'm still super connected to these people. And there many of them are now at other companies and we are still peers who are helping each other out. So if the training, the outcome is I have a better network, then I'm opted in. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, my favorite question in every show is what advice would you give to your early career self? So think about early career Floriana. What would you tell her now? When, in general, I'm quite ambitious. That's also who I am. Always to thrive for the next step in terms of also title and more responsibility and all that stuff. And I, I don't think that's so important, actually. Even saying you can call me master of disaster, I don't care. I don't care about hierarchies so much anymore. I get you. I'm more interested in getting stuff done and being a multiplicator and all these things. So careers are not linear and they're not supposed to be. 
And sometimes it's also too okay to look left and right and be a little bit curious. And uh, right now, sometimes I'm trying to take my own advice and also look uh, left and right and kind of maybe do a little bit of a different thing in terms of startup consulting. I'm looking at early capital for startups, also consulting a little bit more and kind of stuff like that. So yeah, be a little bit free and kind of ambition is good, but again, accept that it's not linear and that's good. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today, uh, Floriana. Really appreciate it. Yeah, just thanks for everything you shared. Good luck with everything you're doing at Zalando Payments. Just to recall for our listeners, you run the product organization that looks at everything that has to do with a customer paying something on Zalando. I just bought something a couple of days ago on Zalando. And (laughs) as I went through the checkout process, I thought about you. I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is going through the hands of Florian, Steve. Which payment method did you use? I think I paid with PayPal. Very nice. It was just very smooth. I thought, yeah, that's what you're looking for as a customer, right? An opportunity where you're going to have a seamless experience. And yeah, it was just super easy to use. So yeah, good yeah, job. No, <laughs> n- nobody goes on Zalando to pay. They want to get their items and they want exactly. to have and seamless. And payments is just convenient at the sense for yeah. sharing. I, I will say this. I think you can rate a lot of customer experiences based on the checkout experience because that's where a lot of the friction happens. You've got to make this easy for people and you guys are doing a good job. So thanks for that. And hopefully we get to speak soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.